we're serving the Lord right now at Calvary Chapel in Lake Arrowhead. Maybe you've heard of Twin Peaks Conference Center, the big Calvary Chapel Conference Center. Well, just down the road, about two miles, is Lake Arrowhead, Calvary Chapel Lake Arrowhead. And uh, they had a little problem, and, and uh, the pastor and all had some difficulties, and so he stepped down, so they asked Becky and I to go there. And we've been there now for about seven, eight weeks, and probably for another six or so, uh, hopefully. In fact, pray for us. We believe the Lord is raising up a new pastor for them, and we're kind of right at that moment when he's going to be introduced to the church and meet with the board and with me and all of that, and that's a sticky time. So pray that God the Holy Spirit just opens his floodgates of grace and all goes well. Amen? That's my hope. Then we can go back home, <laughs> which we're both kind of anxious to do. Yesterday, we spent a great day in Prescott, and Becky and I had the privilege of going watching our uh, two great-grandsons, Eli and Maximus. And yes, Maximus is definitely a Maximus, if you know what I mean. And he... Uh, and they are on a Pop Warner League football team. And so the full gear, you know, all the helmets and cleats and pads and everything. And it was really fun to watch them. It was a great game, 37 to nothing. My grandson's team got nothing. And so it was one of those, oh, you'll get them next time, Max. And so, and those two little guys were so cute when they got off the field and they, were, they, play, they don't have many guys on the team. There's only 12 kids on the team, so they're basically playing the whole game, and the perspiration's just pouring off, and their hair is all matted down, and they're sweating, and they're and little guys, you know, and they're so intense, and it was just pretty cute. But uh, anyway, God is good. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. That'd be a good place to open to this morning. That's where our Lord... I believe, has led me to minister this morning. And you can see on the screen there, the title of the message is Church Prayer, Basic Training from Paul the Apostle. Oh, it says the same thing on that side. Church Prayer, Basic <laughs> Training from Paul the Apostle, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. Boy, they do things good here. They got the same thing on both screens. And the worship, how good was that? You guys are so blessed. I am jealous. Becky and I get to travel around a lot, you know. And uh, we always love to come here because this church functions so wonderfully. And there's so much love in the congregation. I mean, the greeters here, those men that greet, and women, they're just over the top. I mean, they hug you, welcome. One fellow here hugged me three times. And he said, he hugged me, he said, hi, my name's Jack. And I thought, he didn't, must not recognize me from the first two times he hugged me, but sure is loving. And the worship was great. Count your blessings. God's doing a good work here, and you've got a great pastor. What a nice fella. And I have a hard time hearing him sometimes because he's way up here, and he's talking down, and I'm trying to listen, and... 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Church prayer, basic training from Paul the Apostle. Shall we pray?
Father, we come into this place this morning knowing that it is the house of the Lord. It's a place that has been set aside and sanctified wherein we come to worship you and to learn of you and to pray and to have fellowship one with another. It's your house and we are your people. And we ask that as we gather together, you would touch our lives. The Holy Spirit would open the door of our heart wide so that the truth of your word can easily enter and land on fertile soil, tilled soil. So as Jesus taught us in the parable of the sower, the word would grow and multiply tenfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold. Lord, do we dare ask for a hundredfold? Touch our hearts today, change us, mold us, make us more into the men and women of God that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. Solomon, although not perfect, was inspired by God and wrote scriptures that you now hold in your hand. Writing the book of Proverbs, he declared in chapter 25 that encouragement is a wonderful thing. That's echoed all through the New Testament as well. But Solomon wrote, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers or settings of silver. Conjures up something very beautiful. And this is my hope for you this morning. I hope that my words are fitly spoken, and in your heart they're like apples of gold placed in settings of silver. I want to encourage you. Experience has taught me, particularly in the last half a dozen years, that many Christians are dying on the vine for lack of encouragement. No one ever encourages them. Yet, we are called to encourage, are we not? One of the more honorable duties and, in fact, ordinances that we see in the New Testament is that we as Christians are to encourage, to build one another up. Encouragement. Yet, it is so easy to criticize others, isn't it? I do it. I'm sure you do as well. We shouldn't be like that. That's the world's business. The world is filled with critics and discouragers. We're Christians, blood-washed Christians, and we have a duty, and we are empowered by God the Holy Spirit to be better than that. When Paul was writing to the Thessalonian church, it was a good church. 
they were a little off on the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the dead. But other than that, they were a great church. And he wrote to them and said, I quote, comfort each other and edify one another. Edify in the Greek language means to build up. Build one another up. Build one another up. Anybody can tear another person down. Anybody. I can tear that wall down. Yes, I could. You give me a sledgehammer and a couple of fellows working for me in no time at all, I'll have that wall gone. I promise you. It'll be out of there. Now, after I've knocked it down, if you tell me to rebuild, oh, well, that's a different story because I don't know how to frame. I don't know how to hang drywall properly. I don't know how to texture and tape. And those sconces, look at those sconces, how pretty they are. I would have no idea... Well, I probably could figure out where to buy them, but I'd have no idea how to hang them or wire them. Anybody can tear something down, but only a skilled person can build something up. That's what Paul's doing here. He's encouraging Timothy. That's his young son in the faith. It's an intern. Paul's seasoned. Church prayer, basic training from Paul the Apostle. Of course, to who? To young Timothy. His intern. A young man. And Paul, if you read this entire letter, particularly in the beginning parts, he's reminding Timothy that God has equipped him and gifted him and commissioned him for the work of the ministry in Ephesus. Never mind how old you are. Never mind that others don't think you're quite you know, mature enough to do the job. You are equipped, gifted, and commissioned. I want you to go for it. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to stay focused. Because things have got a little cockawamy here in Ephesus, so you've so you got to stay focused, son. And I want you to keep the main thing the main thing. And according to Paul, as you read this letter, the main thing was simple. You all know what it was. It was to win the lost to Christ. And then to teach the saints the word of God and equip them for the work of the ministry. And of course, because there were some other unique problems in this church, defend the faith and set things in order in the church of Ephesus because things had become disorderly. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, remember, he said, let all things be done decently and order. Decently and in order. That's what he's asking Timothy to do here in the church of Ephesus. Get things back in order. You should praise the Lord and thank God every day that you attend a church that is decent and in order and godly. You should thank Him every day because not every church is like this. You are blessed. You're a very blessed people. And He's a very blessed pastor, by the way. That little sentence let all things be done decently in order, has become a basic principle for conduct, for ministry in the church. It had become disorderly in Ephesus. Men were introducing heresies. And not only they were introducing heresies, they were forming splinter groups, and some of the people were running after them. Now, you might expect that kind of trouble in a wild place, a seaport city like Corinth, but not Ephesus. 
This is the one church that Paul the Apostle had invested more time in than any other over two and a half years. It says of that region there that the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. So he taught the word of God and he established a church. And he trained elders and deacons and ministry leaders. And now he had sent Timothy. I mean, with all that, what could possibly go wrong? Indeed. Well, the enemy. He's like a roaring lion. And he's stalking, seeking whom he might devour. He never rests. The enemy hasn't forgotten about Calvary Chapel's surprise. He knows you're here. He's probably attacking this church all of the time. Even though you have a pastor and ministry leaders and all of you are praying and investing your time and prayers and energy, even your resources into the fellowship, he's still banging away all the time. There were problems in Ephesus. And Timothy seems to be struggling a bit. He's having a hard time getting his sea legs. It was a pretty big church for that time and era. And he was young. And there was a lot of guys there that were older than him that were teaching wrong doctrine. And Paul knows that if Timothy, he's going to have to teach him some basic training about prayer, he knows that if Timothy is to stay strong and not stagger in his pursuit of excellence, there had to be a focus on prayer. Just like at Calvary Chapel Surprise, I would believe that there is and hope that there would be more to come, a focus on prayer. This letter is a pastoral letter from a senior pastor to his assisting pastor. There were a bucket full of problems. Problems relating to everything from bad doctrine to just poor ministry. Things not done well. We read the rest of the chapter, we see... There was poor behavior among the women. Surprising, isn't it? Go ahead and laugh. <laughs> if we were to read on, we would discover that other serious matters concerning the conduct of elders and deacons too. There was uh, far too much wrong for any one man unless God's help was requested and received through prayer. They had to pray. Timothy had to pray. He had to get the men and women in the church praying. Here's what Billy Graham says about prayer. Prayer is not a substitute for work, thinking, preparing, planning. Prayer is the support for all of those efforts and more in the church. Thus, the next thing that Paul talks about in his letter concerning church order and what they should do is in fact prayer. And why would he do that? Because he probably heard that prayer in the church of Ephesus was either non-existent or on the decline. Look at verse number one. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. I think it was Charles Stanley. I think I, I pulled this quote out of a Charles Stanley book that he wrote about a dozen years ago on the subject of prayer. Quote, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. 
That's good, isn't it? Chuck Smith taught me and taught other men my age as we were entering into the ministry this, and I quote, without prayer, no ministry can be done well, end of quote. And prayer and prayer ministries were always an integral part of the great ministries of Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, as well as the great ministries here at Calvary Chapel of Surprise. Because I've discovered that on the first Sunday night of every month, there is a church-wide prayer service here. That's the first Sunday night of every month. I would absolutely encourage you to attend that. If I could make you attend it, I would, but I can't. But I can exhort you. Can you imagine what would happen to Pastor Brett's heart if on that first Sunday night of the month this room was full of people who wanted to pray? Pray for him, the worship teams, the staff, the vision for one another, for the children, for resources, for reaching all of Surprise and Sun City and whatever other towns are around here. Can you imagine how he would go home that night? He would fly into the house praising the Lord. I want to encourage you to come. Don't say you can't. I know you can't. I see all the gray hair out there. Same color as mine. I see it all. You got time. You got time. Just eat a little bit earlier. Turn the TV off. Just come. And a lot of you have gray hair just like mine, especially some of the girls. You just can't see it. So even though you don't have gray hair, sisters of my generation, you can still come. Now, I understand. My wife's beautiful, isn't she? She's a redhead. It's all about the roots, baby. It's all about the roots and the highlights. You've got the time. Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you just seek the Lord together? Man, oh man, where two or more are gathered together in my name there I am in the midst of them. If any two ask anything according to my will, it will be done for them. Can you imagine the move of God if there were 600 people once a month in here crying out to the Lord, praying, seeking for God to be glorified in and through this church in even a greater way than it's already happened? Holy cow. First and third Friday mornings. First and third Friday mornings. I just want to make sure it wasn't Thursday. Women's prayer. First and third. Ladies, ladies, I know you can come. Imagine. It's very important, and it's a tremendous blessing to have prayer opportunities like this. The church that Becky and I are pastoring right now, they hadn't had a prayer meeting for as long as they could remember. As long as they could remember an official prayer meeting. I said, okay, let's have a men's prayer meeting. Let's do it on Tuesday mornings, O dark 30, ex-Marine. O dark 30, right? Six o'clock in the morning. 25 guys came and continue to come. You say, 25? Well, there's 25 people sitting right there. Yeah, but this is a church of 150 people we're talking about. 
at 6 o'clock in the morning with no promises of anything. Well, I said maybe we'd have a stale donut. That'd be it. <laughs> Becky has prayer now with the folks in the church, the ladies, on Tuesday and uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. And one of the ladies said, you want me to bring some cookies and some banana bread? And Becky said, oh, that'd be wonderful, but no, because we're just going to pray. You see, that's a hurting church. But for that church to become healthy and to go forward, we have to pray. They didn't have a Wednesday night Bible study, so we started one. But before we go home, before we end the evening, we gather in groups and hold hands and we pray about our coming pastor and the church going forward and all that. You see, the church has to pray, just like Ephesus has to pray if it's going to go forward well. When we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. What about Moses and his buddy Joshua? They're trudging through the wilderness, aren't they? And all of a sudden, the trumpets blare and the Amalekites attack. And the Amalekites were fierce. They were horrible, ruthless. Moses said, Joshua, come into my tent for a minute. Let's have a meeting. He said, I want you to go out and find all the best soldiers you can, all the best warriors you have, and you're going to go out and fight the Amalekites. But while you're fighting, I'll be on the mountaintop, and I'll have the staff of God in my hand. And to quote Moses, he looked at Joshua and he said, we will see what God will do. Had nothing to do with the staff. Had everything to do with interceding. Had everything to do with requesting Jehovah to protect his people. So the next day, bright and early, Moses, Aaron, and her, they struggle their way up to the top of the mountain, and Joshua gathers his men to go out and fight the Amalekites. And as long as Moses was holding his hands high, the staff of God high, which is a type of prayer, Joshua and his men would prevail. If he got tired and his hands came down, in other words, they stopped praying, then the Amalekites would resurge and gain an advantage. And so when Moses, when his arms grew tired, Aaron and her, they propped up his arms on a stone. And that worked for a while, but after that didn't work, they would actually hold his arms up high. And as long as his arms were held high, Joshua and his soldiers did well. And at the end of the day, they resoundly defeated the Amalekites, and the Amalekites ran off. In other words, he said, Joshua, you go out and fight, and I, Moses, along with Aaron and Hur, will pray. What do you suppose he prayed for? The same kind of things we need to pray for. Deliverance from the enemy. Protection from the enemy. Courage. Zeal. Strength. Valor. He prayed for all of those things when he prayed for Joshua and, and when he prayed for Joshua's soldiers. You see, when we work, we work. We can get a lot done. But when we pray, God works for us and it becomes miraculous. And the scriptures are riddled with passages teaching us that our wonderful Father in heaven is willing to answer the prayers of his children. Behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called the sons and the daughters, the children of God. He loves us. He loves us to come before his throne and to ask. There is great force in prayer, and the Bible is very clear. James was so inspired that he just 
wrote earnestly, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not a little bit, but the effectual, fervent prayer. Imagine, 600 people here, fervently praying. Wow, there'd be an earthquake. Our master taught, men ought always to pray and faint not. Prayer is of primary importance. So please support your pastor and his wife and the ministers and one another and the children's ministry and the high school ministry and the seniors ministry and the missions ministry and everything that we have in this wonderful church in prayer. You must pray. Verse 1, therefore I exhort. He's not asking. He's exhorting. First of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for my aunt back in Minnesota, my uncle in Ohio, my dear, beloved little grandson. Note, be made for all men. The way that's written in the Greek, all men everywhere. Why? Why should we gather together and pray for all men everywhere? Because Paul wants the church in Ephesus and the church in Surprise to have vision in their prayer. If we get too focused on the inward when we're praying, we get like a little club, and it's all about us. And oh my gosh, i got to balance my checkbook. I hope I have enough money to go to Disneyland next week. Paul says, yeah, well, God will provide for all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But what about the valley out here where there's all these people who don't know Jesus? When the church comes together, we should be praying with vision. How can we reach that neighborhood? How can we reach that neighborhood? How can we get those kids in here that aren't from Christian families into the Iwana program? How can we, how can we Lord guide us and direct us and provide for all of our needs? Church prayers should have vision. And we should pray the kinds of things that God wants. Here's what John wrote. He knew something of prayer. He said, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Paul says, pray for all men. Why? Because the Lord wants all men to be saved. Because Jesus shed his blood for all men everywhere. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the beginning was the Word. Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. We beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. So I'm standing in the garage yesterday and I'm waiting for Becky. We're going to go to the football game. I'm just kind of standing there in the garage, just kind of waiting. Beautiful day up in Prescott. And I hear it coming down the street. It's my neighbor. He's got a Porsche. Rum, rum, he's coming down the street, right? And his wife's ahead of him and she's driving their SUV. SUV. She stops. She goes, he goes around her. He pulls, naturally, the Porsche in the garage. Next thing I know, I'm just standing there about four minutes later, and all of a sudden I hear loudly expletives. I mean the worst of the worst. 
she's just losing it. She's mad at him about something, and it's over the top. You know what my reaction was? Because we've seen him for a while. We know, you know. There they go again. There they go again. And so we don't avoid them, but we don't make a whole lot of effort to get to know them either. Is that what I'm supposed to do? The Lord spoke to my heart. We need to pray for those people. Got another neighbor. He's about four doors down. Guy about my age. Not friendly at all. Not friendly. I drive by him and I go, nothing. Just. He can be crossing the street to get his mail out of the mailbox and I have to stop to let him go in front of me. He won't even look through the windshield and go, hey, what's up? Nothing. He owns a Corvette. He's always out there. Polishing the Corvette. All the time. I've made uh, my mind up. When we come home from Lake Arrowhead, next time I see him out there rubbing down that vet, I'm going to walk right down to that vet and I'm going to slap my hand on the fender and I'm going to go, boy, she's a beauty. Can I have a ride in it? Would you mind taking me for a ride? I'll say, I've never ridden in a Corvette this color before. Can you take me around the block once? All men everywhere. Imagine what God the Holy Spirit would do with that grouchy guy. Turn his life absolutely around. Just imagine this. Here's Donald Trump. I got a Bible. Have you seen that on TV? So I have a Bible too. Imagine if he came to Christ. Holy cow. He'd be up there weeping and crying, and I want to be the president because I'm such a good guy. It'd be unbelievable, wouldn't it? All men everywhere. Verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's the lesson in this passage. All men are capable of receiving the knowledge. Now, we know that not all will receive it, but all are capable of receiving it. And that's why the topic of prayer and evangelistic praying is so important in the church. If the principal aim of the church was koinonia and fellowship, you know, loving one another and stuff, here, we're done. If it's the knowledge of the word, well, pretty much done too, or you could go to heaven and learn a little bit more. How about holiness? Well, God just needs to take us to heaven and we'll be totally sanctified. Everything's accomplished that way. And all those things are vital. That's why Pastor Brad and others, they teach us and emphasize the things of the word here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. However, the primary function of the church is to reach the lost for Christ. It says that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then the church will be raptured. So there's still quite a few people, I believe, that need to come to Christ. And if we don't lead them to Christ, who is? Who's going to lead them? Right? Who's going to lead them? That's your job. This is a prosperous, well-fed, happy, lots of ministries kind of church. Let's get out there and do more things for him. Go into this valley. I therefore exhort, he's not asking, verse 1 again, first of all, that supplications, prayers, and intercessions be given, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And that means all men. That means the emperor, or it means the helpless slave. King, commoner, rich, poor, master, slave, they all are included in his limitless love. We pray for them all. 
I read a book a few years ago about a man named Toyo Kagawa. He was a Christian missionary, a Japanese man. And he was living in one of the most depraved slums in the Far East. He was in Bangkok, Thailand. His neighbors were horrible. The women were all prostitutes. Many of the men were male prostitutes, thieves, murderers, wanted by the police, unsafe to walk down the street. People tried to kill him on more than one occasion. They just lived in misery. The streets were wet and slippery with sewerage. The stench was overwhelming. The girl right next door to him, I read that she was demon-possessed and did unimaginable things. Tried to kill him once. Yet Kagawa was determined, and he prayed, and he prayed. And then he gained a few converts, and they began to pray together. And he prayed for his neighbors, and he wanted these people in his church. He wanted revival in this slum. And when his life finally ended, he had a church of 300 people who came from this slum. Jesus wants them too. Jesus wants all men, good or bad. And we're called to reach out to them. Why? Because we're the light of the world. We're the only light in the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. They do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Prayer must be made for all men. He's talking about evangelistic praying with vision. No one is outside the scope of prayer. No one is outside the love of Christ. And so whether it's people near or far in Juneau, Alaska, or Prescott, Arizona, or Lake Arrowhead, or Surprise, or Cincinnati, it doesn't matter whether good or bad, young or old. Enemies, no such thing, as well as friends, we are supposed to pray for them all. And a healthy church like this one has a vision to win people to Jesus. We can't be overly concerned about ourselves. That we miss the big picture. Kings and emperors, too. You're not going to like this very much. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That was the cardinal principle of the first century church. Kings might be heathens. They might be like a Nero who was crazy, wanting to kill all the Christians. But the church prayed on. What if we looked at politics today, believing that it is God who is truly on the throne? That'd be a radical concept. Imagine giving thanks for all of our leaders. Can you hear the prayers now? <laughs> Lord, I just want to, uh, I guess, Lord the, Bible, Lord, the Bible says I need to pray for everybody, so I'd like to pray for Barack Obama and Michelle and Hillary and that whole gang. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do, though. Rulers are used by God to fulfill prophecy. 
Caesar Augustus made a big decision one day, and he said, all the world should be taxed. I am Caesar, the August one, and they're all going to be taxed. Those are my orders. I'll do as I please. But hold on just a minute. As Caesar was breaking his campaign promises and starting to raise taxes, what was really going on? There was Mary, this young woman, and she was carrying the Messiah in her womb. And she was in Nazareth. Yet hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, a prophet by the name of Micah made it unmistakably clear that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Therefore, because of the August One's edict, Caesar's orders, Mary and Joseph set out for Bethlehem. So was it really Caesar's orders that brought them to Bethlehem? Not really. Clearly, it was the plan of God all along. Obviously, God was in control. And that's why we should pray for our leaders. We don't really know what God is doing. We watch the news correctly and try to understand end times. We see that it's, you know, things are shaping up pretty tight. But we're supposed to pray for them, even if we don't care for them. God still uses them. Peter wrote, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Why? Verse 2. End of it. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Two great qualities for which every Christian should pray. Godliness and reverence. Now the Greek word for godliness that is used here is almost untranslatable, but it, it, it portrays the concept that a man or woman has an attitude that respects God above all else. God is the most important aspect of their life. Seek first the kingdom of God you know, and his righteousness, all these other things, they'll take care of themselves. The second word, reverence, is similar, but it describes a man or a woman who has an air of grace and an air of dignity about them, an air of Christ's likeness about them. They're just beautiful in their faith. And so Paul wants them to pray so that their lives would be free from strife, so they could display Christianity at its finest. And that's what we want to do, brothers and sisters. We want to display Christianity at its finest. Not its most expensive, but at its finest. We are the light of the world. And we should be praying for that. As we gather together as a church or women's groups or men's groups and we're praying, Lord, let us display Christianity at its finest. Excellent an excellence in our walk with the Lord, an excellence in our ministry as we have today, an excellence in our facility, an excellence that we're shining, an excellence in our parenting, in our marriage, and our work uh, attitudes when we're at work. Excellence. We are blood-washed Christians. We are the best of the best. We've been chosen by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's stand up and be all that we can for him. Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies beyond the will of God. Look at verse number 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4. It's good and acceptable. He likes it. He's paying attention to CCS. 
who desires, that's his will, all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's God's will, salvations. Obviously, not everybody can be saved, but everybody has an opportunity. It means all men everywhere without distinction can come to the knowledge of the truth. And what's the truth that we want them to hear? It's so simple. Timothy, stay focused, son. It's simple. Verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Gets a lot of press, but it's not Pope Francis. Lots of press. It's not Pope Francis. One man, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. He's the perfect mediator between a holy God and a fallen creation. Pope Francis seems like a nice man. Pope Francis even seems as if he, he might even know the Lord, for all I know. I think he might. But have you ever really listened to him? What he says doesn't really make sense. It's all kind of just hyperbole. Jesus makes sense. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father. No man but through me. Things were really unraveling for Job. You know that. He cried out, I wish there was a daysman, that's a mediator, between God and me. And Paul is saying, there is now. There is a mediator. And it's the man Christ Jesus. He's the bridge between an infinite God and finite man. He's the mediator. And we're supposed to follow him. So that makes us mediators too, of a sort. Look at verse number 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Paul wrote to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to think like Christ. We're supposed to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give us the heart of a mediator. We're to follow the Lord's example. And that's the basis for prayer. When we come together for prayer, we're not fault finders. That's not our job. We're not political change agents. We're not debaters. We're not supposed to be marching up and down the street holding placards. We're not people who are angry or bitter. What good does it do to sit in front of your TV and go, duh, duh, listen to that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, what good does that do? Instead, pray. Instead, reach out and minister to somebody. We're mediators. We want to offer reconciliation. We're reconciliators. Paul nowhere says, or does Peter, pray for those guys to be out of here. I think if the contemporary church stopped and thought about it for a minute, and they took the time and energy that it takes for maneuvering and lobbying, lobbying and, and complaining and poured that time into intercessory prayer as the church, we would see a profound effect in our nation. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, wrote Paul, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So he's calling the church to be mediators, and that's what we do when we pray. Check out verse number 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And everywhere means in every church. Sunday night prayer meeting. I'm urging you to come. Men and women's prayer meetings in the church, I'm urging you to attend them. 
and stretch forth holy hands. What that means is that we're submitting to God because that's what servants in that day and era did. They would lift their hands like this. So it's a sign of submission, asking him to richly bless us and, and guide us and bless our pastor and his wife and the worship team and all of us that we'd be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, lifting up our hands saying, Holy Spirit, come fall on us fresh and anew that we might be quickened from the inside out and exercise spiritual gifts and be strong for the Lord and filled with love and grace. In Acts 12, we see that the early church, quote, constant prayer was offered to God. Pray with persistence. That all has to do with Jesus. Verse 7, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. He's telling Timothy, I'm a preacher, I'm an apostle. You listen to me, son. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I am a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He saw himself as a preacher, an apostle, an ambassador. Ambassador for Jesus Christ. A herald. And he's telling this young man to get that church on their knees and start praying with vision, start praying with a heart of an evangelist. Win the lost. Now you can think about it this way if you want. You can say, well, there's about 600 chairs in here, I'm guessing. I don't know, maybe there's more. I'm not sure. What difference does it make if I'm not here? There'll still be 599 others. You can't look at it like that. Because even though I'm standing before hundreds of people, I'm preaching to you. And the Word of God is reaching into your heart. And if you look at the Bible co correctly and carefully, you'll notice that God always chose one man or one woman. He didn't say... Uh, Abraham, gather all your clan together and I'm going to pick one of you out to leave Ur and go on down and establish the promised land and be the father of uh, a multitude of people. He said, Abraham, you're out of here. Abraham said yes. And he was justified by faith in God. And he went down there. He didn't do it perfectly, but he went down there, didn't he? And then the children of Israel later on, hundreds of years later, got themselves in a pickle and they ended up down in Egypt as slaves. And one day Moses is wandering around there out in the backside of the desert and he's taking care of some sheep and all of a sudden a bush catches on fire and God speaks to him and says, Moses, you're going. I want you to go down there and I want you to get those people and move them out. And then Moses says, well, I don't know. You ever met my brother? He is so cool. Why don't you, why don't you ask my brother? My brother here, Aaron, he's a top-notch fellow, God. God said, I don't want to hear about Aaron. Aaron might help you and all, but I want you to go. And Moses leads him out, and then Moses, you know, he never got to go into the promised land because he, you know, kind of disobeyed God. So God didn't say, well, who are the best nine guys that are your helpers? Let's see the, the strongest bunch, and I'll pick one of them. He just said, Joshua, you're it. You're the one. Take him across the Jordan River. Go over the other side. Don't worry about Jericho. I'll take care of that. I'll knock their walls down for you. And I want you to take that land and drive those heathens out. And then centuries and centuries and centuries went by and the Messiah was coming. He'd been born and he was getting ready to step out into his public ministry and God went right to a guy by the name of John the Baptist, of all people. 
you know, long hair, scraggly sticking out to here, leather belts, you know, burlap clothes, chomping on locusts and wandering around in the mud of the Jordan River, dunking people under and screaming about repentance. And God says, you're the one. And there he is. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. One man. And then they needed a house to meet in, the first church did. And God said, Lydia, I want you to open up your house. And then Paul got tired and hungry and needed some help. Maybe he needed to have some wounds patched up because he'd gotten beaten up. And Aquila and Priscilla came along and took him in and just loved him. You see, God is interested in what you do. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. Every one of us. No one can escape. So does he want you to come and pray? He absolutely does. Does he want you to say your prayers tomorrow morning and seek the Lord and read your Bible? Absolutely. It's all about prayer. And I was thinking that prayer is essential because my whole walk with the Lord started with prayer. Started with prayer. Greg Laurie was preaching and he gave a sermon. He said, you need Jesus. And I went, boy, do I ever. And I raised my hand, right? And then I went forward and the first thing I did was say a prayer. Becky and I standing here together holding hands like two little kids. He led us in a prayer. And then they hustled us off into a prayer room around the other side and we sat down with this little teenage girl. She was a counselor. And she was sitting there kind of with her jeans on and pigtails Indian style and she looked at it and she said, sir, you need to say your prayers now that you're a Christian. I went, say my prayers. I got that. I can, I can do that. So we went home that night, and I led Becky and I in a prayer. The most immature, I didn't know if I was a foot or horseback, just some little prayer, you know. It started with prayer. And then I think about the end of my life, because I'm almost 71, and who knows? You know, I could say it from my third point next Sunday and go right off the edge of the platform and die, Right? But I wouldn't go that way. I'd go into the drums. I, I, <laughs> if I go from the stage someday, I want to stumble back and go into the drums and make a huge scene. You know what I mean? And pull the screens down. <laughs> but when I do, I think I'll have time to pray. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll lay on the bed and I'll pray. And I'll pray for Max, the football player, and Eli, his little brother, my great-grandsons, and my great-granddaughter, Evie, and I'll pray for Nikolai and Quincy and Benji and Jackson and Sophia and Stephen and David and Anna and their hus husbands and wives and their children. I'll thank God for my wife and for all the opportunities I had. It'll start with prayer, but it also will hopefully, by the grace of God, end with some prayer. Won't that be wonderful? But in between, there has to be a lot of praying too. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed and how many times Becky's prayed and how many people have prayed for us and how many times we've prayed for other people. It's prayer. Do you need to say a prayer today? Why am I so enthusiastic about all this at my age? Because God is so good forgave me for some very bad sins. Very bad. Like many of you. Maybe you need to pray today. What do you think? Could it be that you need to start praying today? Like I did? You know, in your heart. 
You don't have to say it out loud. God, God doesn't care if you say it out loud or it's in your heart. Why don't we close our eyes for just a moment? We'll see if anybody wants to pray this morning.